Welcome again, guys, to another week of the uh, Base Training Thoughtcast. Um, we are joined again by Mr. James Fitzgerald. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, he is an exper- well-experienced coach for over 20 years or so within the health, fitness, wellness, lifestyle, performance era, or uh, area, should I say, and sector. And he's joining us again. Um, so I appreciate you coming on. It's great to be here. Um, Thanks for having me, Lee. So this week we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, tactical athletes. For those of you that don't know what a tactical athlete is, it is the military uh, athlete and the, um, uh, the security services, the fire services, basically people that have uh, slightly different demands on their system and their bodies and their mental health and their physical health and nutrition, basically all the things that go with that. Um, I'm sure we'll segue onto other parts as well. <laughs> so yeah, I appreciate yeah. you coming on again. Um, so what's your sort of general thoughts on um, military training, police training, training for being a fireman or firefighter, should I say? Um, what's your kind of general approach to it? Yeah, I think I think it's fascinating, even the conversation around it. Um, before mm-hmm. we get to even some possible ironically, tactical ideas to how to become the best tactical athlete possible. Um, I think uh, it's really hard to group everyone. Um, And I pull ideas from sport participation in order to kind of envelop that answer. Um, And I'll get to the point that I find super interesting, which is in terms of cognitive and physical resilience that I think is like the cake is the KPIs for these people and how to figure that out as opposed to like, trying to figure out what training they should do, which can never resemble what's actually in the real life scenario. So when I look at that tactical athlete envelope, it's like looking at all the sports in the Olympics and saying, now what would be the best program for an Olympic athlete? That's, that's the way I see it. It's like, it makes no sense to, to slap that on top of that. And I'll give you an example, which I know you're aware of. It could be uh, someone who's a fire fireman who uh, you know uh, gets nighttime sleeps? So they're at a they're at a place where they um, you know wherever they are on night shift. It's a very low li- low level community uh, mm-hmm. atmosphere. So they get to sleep you know a regular eight hours. Doesn't matter during the night. And then you have other firemen who uh, are downtown in a more uh, uh, buff- bustling urban area, and they never slept on a night shift before. Um, and that just gives you some slight indications of that variance, you know, and then we're talking about emergency medical services. Um, and depending upon where you are in the world, that can mean completely different to some to others, right? Emergency medical services. Like I know I have a friend who is uh, a medic with special forces and the kind of stuff that he would see in his job is very different than what emergency medical services would see, for example, uh, here across the pond or we're in or whatever things happen here. So. I just make the, I mean, just make those couple of points to recognize that there really is, and I don't want to discern the idea of trying to get to that, but there's really this unknown, real, true, functional requirements for what's inside each of those professions to slap inside of an envelope for that practice. What I'll finish with on the answer, though, is the is the most interesting thing I I find of interest is to wrap a sports medicine model around the key performance indicators as to who should be. Uh, selected for and perform those jobs. And I find the the highly resilient individuals, you know, are the ones that really self-select better than others that should, you know, quote unquote, fall into place uh, for those things because they're able to deal with things and with through composure 
and learn about them and adapt better as time goes on. And you can just imagine then any stressful scenario, a shitty night's sleep, seeing someone get their head cut off or trying to stay awake for three days to, to kill, um, all those things require this baseline level of resilience. Um, and so that's where I, what I'd start with in the, the interesting conversation for the tactical athlete. Yeah, and that resilience is, uh, is quite an interesting point, is, is that, from my experience, is what the selection processes are built up around, is that the strongest and fittest are the best. Um, I personally have some issues with that. I think that a lot of people can have the potential for it and be built up to it. Um, but generally, it's, it's, they, I think there's potentially a, a, a risk from the, the military side saying, okay, if we put that time into someone and it doesn't come off, then we've wasted time. Whereas, as you said, yeah. let's let them self-select and we will have a better chance. Um, that does leave you with a, a special few, <laughs> hence why it's the yeah. special forces. Uh, there are a select few of the population that will ever be part of that. Yeah, why do you feel that way about it? Is it because there's not enough time to get people to learn adaptation? Yeah, I, thought, I think there is, a, is a, there is a time frame built around um, they need people to be in the special forces. They need people to go for the selection. And the quickest way to find the most resilient ones is put them through grueling tests. I was doing a little bit of research on the uh, SAS uh, selection process, and one of the things they do, one of the, um, not first tests, but one of the initial fitness testing phase, they do a thing called long drag. It's 40 miles in 24 hours carrying a 55-pound rucksack across um, some extreme terrain. You have to navigate there. There's six to eight checkpoints. You don't know when, when or if it's going to end. Um, so that mental challenge, the navigational challenge, so the skill set, the physical challenge, um, is huge. So that will, that's the, that's one of the first weeks. Um, so that will self-select and get rid of a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So they they are like you said, looking for the most resilient people. Um, but I think there is a is a point where that people can be built up into that. Yeah, and I you know I guess that's just a separate conversation mm -hmm. for another time. Um, because if, you know, and then, because then the question remains, well, who's responsible for building those people up? And then the time and resources that are required to build those people up to possibly get to the point where they don't adapt, you know? So, you know, and I don't even know if everyone, including the SAS or other organizations, have those metrics where they're like, yeah, well, we tried this with all these other groups and we just were like, forget it. Let's just do this two week like bashing and then just self select three out of 40, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, I, I I can see where they're coming from that they they require a baseline standard because after you do the after you pass the selection phase there is a, a period of continuation training where you're developing mm -hmm. different skills and developing fitness and so on. Um, but I think the the fitness that is developed post selection is is quite different to the fitness that is needed for the selection process. So there's, there's kind of a misalignment yes. there. Yeah, yeah, and again, that's uh, that's probably. Our secondary question, I don't know if you're going to go there, but the, what the training looks like for that. Um, and that changes based upon the political atmosphere, based upon the country or the area we're talking about, um, as well as what's the requirements for their defense, you know, uh, their, their system. So, yeah. so, so how, how specific, so we've gone from the general part, let's kind of go polar and uh, go, how, how specific do you get? So there's a lot of clear benchmarks of people 
um, to reach in terms of fitness uh, in the forces? Um, so do you train specifically to reach those targets or do you look at a bigger picture and uh, keep the training more general um, and target energy systems rather than specific performance? Yeah, again, um, before you can answer that, you have to figure out what the functional volume is and the actual mm. test, right? Yeah. And I know even it's almost impossible to answer that, but I'm not discarding the fact that otherwise otherwise you're just left with this idea, well, fuck it, let's just train anything and it'll work out. And yeah. that generally ends up in disaster. You know, it burns a lot of people out mm. and actually makes them less resilient. So let's take the other one that we're just below that, whatever that utopic model would be of perfect you know, alignment and then say they have to be able to do these specific things. When it comes down to general versus specific, I generally take the more, I guess, age old model of those uh, specificity and carryover transfer ideas. Mm. Um, and if anyone tr wants to understand that, I guess a little bit more in detail, you probably wanna look at in the next 10 years, just watch what happens to mixed martial arts or the, the uh, prevalence of the kind of training that's inside of that because it used to be like this rock star mentality where you could like, you know, smoke and drink and then train for three months and then win. Yeah. And then there was like a 10 year period where everyone's like, you know, bartering up now to say like, oh, it's my recovery methods and all these training that gets people there. And then now we're starting to see that, which, which is the evolution of a sport that basically you got to train all the skills of the sport as much as possible to get as high as possible of those skills. And then you got to be absolutely bipolar in your general prep that has almost no carryover to the production of improvement of skills. So it's, I think it's the same thing for the tactical athlete. Besides the fact we don't even know what they actually have to do, we have to like choose something and then say, these are the things that you probably want to prepare for. And then I'm not going to make it super generalist so we can get to some other points on it, but you probably only want to be doing really effective mixed modal aerobic work and some slow absolute strength training as the most general forms of training that will allow all that specific carryover because those characteristics will build the things that will allow you to express the skills at the best level possible. And so this little in-between stuff, I'll just be completely honest, Lee, I think it's just a bunch of sales horseshit. Yeah. I think it's just a big sales propaganda system that's out there is like, we know more than what you do because we have our guys do burpees and shooting and you know, it's like, you know, just get them into their skill situation and then get them into the gym and do that general stuff. And then actually you'll see their skills go up when it's actually measured. And that's not been done actually in a special force situation, but in motor learning design and research that literature is so old on that, that just shows that if you want to improve that skill, you got to be really careful of what's called the second and third generation exercises that actually resemble and carry over to that skill. And a lot of it in those scenarios can f up the perfect, uh, the perfect. Uh, what was I? What I was like? What was I calling it? The expression of that skill uh, for the tactical athlete. Yeah. So are you saying that um, practicing the skill of uh, a fire maneuver, so fire, firing your weapon, taking cover, moving, and approaching a target, is better practicing a in a low fatigue setting with. Um, the baseline strength and the baseline aerobic system in place already. Yep. Yeah, and instead of like the, and we call it middle zone. So I'll just make it real simple for understanding, you know, trap bar, deadlift, and easy, you know, grinding mixed modal work over here. And then you have really specific, which you can't get. That's, that's the interesting mm. thing around your sport as well. 
you can't, you're so far away from specific training. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's nothing that can resemble a, a line of fire that you could possibly do in a house. That's just a training, right? Mm -hmm. As you know, probably I don't know. I mean, I hunt, but I don't know. Uh, there's the thing where the, the, the mountain lion is not like shooting back <laughs> at me, you know, so it's completely different. Yeah. Um, and I've done some fighting before, but you know, I've never been in a fist fight where, well, actually I have, but I know that feeling, but yeah. I'm just saying that it's very hard to resemble that. So mm -hmm. you got to get as close as possible to that. And that's what I mean is all the things you had said, which could be include, you know, close combat, combat with weapons, um, maneuvers with weapons, time constraints too, right? Like mm -hmm. hours and hours of projects and things that you got to do that should be done to, to maximally express those skills as high as possible. Yeah. And then the next day, mid AM, when they're all fresh and ready, they should go do trap bar deadlifts and grinding mm. aerobic work. Yeah. Yeah. And like having, like, uh, so I've, I've done a tour of Afghanistan and Iraq and having been in some situations where there's, there's rounds going both ways. Um, it's not a, a case of how fit you are at that point. A lot of the time, because it is very much you are in a static position and it comes down to how good a shot you are a lot of the time and how good a communicator you are with your team and so on to outmaneuver the, the enemy as such. The only time I've really had fitness come into play is in, in casualty evacuations and really fast operations mm -hmm. in terms of trying to cover ground in a, in a fast and a, short, uh, a very short space of time. And then the opposite end, where we're carrying lots of equipment. So in Afghanistan, um, we were carrying, I think, up to, I'm trying to remember exactly, it was about 60 to 70 kilos worth of equipment um, for eight hours a day, longer. And just slow grinding, like you said, aerobic work. Because as soon as you come under fire, you get as much kit off as you can, and if you need to move yep. it, you move it. If not, you're you're putting rounds down and and so on. You know yeah, it, the thing that you know, thing that your listeners can think about is I just had a conversation with a, a guy who does uh, organization and structure around e games for teams, mm -hmm. as well as uh, you know travels the world for that. So these guys, um, these young like eighteen year old multi millionaires now, um, <laughs> need to be at the highest cognitive level. Now let's mm -hmm. take the whole you know, Adderall, you know, supplement, you know, a cocaine conversation out of it by not means I'm saying that those guys are on it, but yeah. that's the way their brain has to operate, yeah. right. In order to function with these games. Right. So if you want to think about that, you need to ask the question, which is a key thing back to your point of like accuracy and making good decisions. You need to say there's a sweet spot in the kind of training that has carryover that allows you to do that. And any of that middle zone, and I'll say it because it could be uncomfortable for some people, CrossFit in the middle will not help people be more cognitively accurate or make better decisions, right? It's a suffering that, and I'm just giving CrossFit as an example, yeah. but some, a lot of people actually practice it, right? For the, they think they're just going to make them as fit as possible so they'll be able to, you know, respond better in a shootout. Mm -hmm. Actually, you won't. Um, in any, if anything, and that's the point I'm making that's the last thing that people should be doing. You know, lactate protocol is a really intense activity because it pulls away from that massive cognitive function that's required for those skills. Mm. So what actually am I recommending for this e-game because where I'm consulting with him based upon that is slow resistance training. That's basically it. Yeah. Because if they can get a great strength, strength and immune system, no work actually that allows them not to like die at 26 from being like this, 
um, and it keeps them at a high mental acute level with, on a low carbohydrate diet, they will, they, they will win millions in five years, you know, all because they can spend an entire weekend being so focused and not lose composure based yeah. upon that. So I just want folks to think about that. It's, it's a very similar pattern um, besides, of course, the, the backfire. Um, mental acuity is a, is a massive thing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we, the tactical athlete has a lot of physical stress which um, is relatively, oh, I don't want to say easy to manage, but it's, 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 it's manageable um, and yeah. you can program it. How, how are you approaching and advising and consulting on the combination of the physical demand and the acute, intense stress and mental demand? Yeah, how, how yeah. I'm hopeful. I kind of... Um... I kind of leave the mental stress demand stuff for the specific organizations and how they're going to do that skill preparation yeah. for people. I'll be honest with you on that. Yeah. Um, that's not my game to play. Um, and I think just as a side note, I really don't think there's a good job of like psychological intervention and, and great like psychological education and mindset over there. Mm-hmm. That's just a kind of side note conversation. But to answer that, I really don't get involved in that. Mm-hmm. I would hope that they're either self-selected to have that cognitive function or the practice of their skills allows them to kind of weed out or figure out if they're going to be able to do it or not. Hmm. In regards to the organization of the strength and the kind of work that we do, it's like you and I know it's based upon ability. That's what dictates what you should do. So if we assume that they should do, and we're putting it into two simple buckets, right? Slow resistance training and excellent grinding metabolic aerobic work, Hmm. then we have to figure out if they actually can express those things. And so the ability of the athlete, the tactical athlete, will dictate what they should do, how often, how frequently, because no matter, you know, if you're 19 years old and you're a rookie, or if you're 32 years old and you've got a lot of resistance training and experience in, you know, you can't do the same program because your nervous system responds differently to those two aspects over here. So for the conditioning, it's the ability that dictates really what they do, but the theme of it is still roughly the same, if that makes sense. So with your experience, what's, what's, what are the biggest challenges that you're facing in terms of, like, as you said, you, you leave the kind of mental aspect aside. What are the biggest challenges you're facing in terms of the physical demands? What are, what are the common problems and issues that you're seeing that you're having to navigate around and, or through, should I say? Yeah, it's actually not mine, but it's actually to help them with behaviors around lifestyle to put up with the own unknown deployments or the unknown responsibilities. Mm. Um, And secondarily, for the folks in, you know, U.S., Canada um, and abroad, um, they sometimes they go off the chart for four weeks and they're not allowed to contact me or I don't know what they're up to. Mm. So that's also a big challenge. But I would hope that when they're on land or back in wherever their land is, that uh, we can build practices so that they choose those. And I would say that'd be a good, is a hard challenge is to build those lifestyle practices. So they know how to deal with that when they go and have to eat that specific food that could be in a certain camp in a different area, or when they have to respond to a different lifestyle and how to organize that. So the biggest challenges are really working around the, I like to call it terrain, like how, how good is their internal system working and how can they manage that as much as possible with good behaviors so it allows them to do the training that's required to be able to express those skills and uh, and to be as safe as possible. Yeah, but I I, uh, I heard a, a quote or a quote in someone about routine and the it's that humans crave routine. Most of us 
kind of know that. We love a bit of routine. And it's, com- it's commonly one of the problems that I see with uh, people trying to get back into fitness and training mm. and exercise and good be- uh, lifestyle behaviours. And the lifestyle that a special forces operator will be in, or the tactical athlete, is that of lack of routine. And it's uh, you're, taught, yep. you're taught that, don't set routines, don't set patterns. How are, you yep. approach- how are you approaching that? You kind of alluded to it there. In that when they go yep. away for four weeks and they come back, they might not know again that loss of routine can put quite a physical mental stress and mental stress can come yeah. physical stress. No, that's a great question. Um, for those who get up to, let's call it a real strong operating level, mm. um, those people are the most resilient because they can self-organize in a chaotic system. Yeah. So we can't really look to those people to answer the question as to like, well, what do you do that creates consistency that gets you to where you are? Because they actually respond to better learning, even yeah. behaviors when it is chaotic, you know? And so, yeah, and, and we, as we know, you know, we could just call it numbers, Lee, but it's probably, you know, 1%, right? Mm-hmm. Or 2% yeah, of the group that are kind of like that. So let's not look at those. But the interest that I have is if you notice that, so someone is looking to prepare to get into that area, right? You have to test them physically and cognitively to see how they put up with stress, right? How they deal with that. And I would say just as a template for something to think about, you want to, you want to ask yourself, where do they see, where do they sit in terms of awareness and where do they sit in competence? And you want to move them from this area of unconscious incompetence all the way up to unconscious competence, right? And there's steps in between and you can do that through training. You can do that through um, cognitive behavioral therapy and like challenging stuff inside of the training or with skills. You can change up schedules. Um, you could forcefully act, ask them to do things that are uncomfortable that build resilience, mm-hmm. right? Stuff that are that's unknown. So, you know, for those people who are on the outside looking into that and they feel that they really don't have that level of resilience, I think you can train it. Um, I think that you can do it through physical challenges to build the level of resilience um, up to the point where you can put up with that those unknowns and basically be resilient enough to deal with it when it comes that time in the operator's uh, lifestyle. Yeah, I think that is a, uh, a a benefit of fitness is that it, it does build resilience. Does that yeah that sense sure. of getting comfortable with the uncomfortable is a uh, is is kind of what they need to be able to do. They're going to be uncomfortable a lot, <laughs> and they need yes to, uh, to yes. Um, and I don't mean to belabor that point, but no, really. we it's actually a step backwards from that. Mm. You need to be able to say can they recover from getting uncomfortable? Okay. That makes sense? So you first got to say, oh, we can try to make you uncomfortable, but what happens if we make you uncomfortable and you can't recover from that? Mm. Then that means you got to build the terrain first before you want to train discomfort so that they can recover from discomfort to learn more about discomfort, right? So that's where the training aspect has to be progressive and individualized. Mm. Of course, I'm in a bubble when I say that. I'm very biased towards that, but I really do think that on a continuum... You know, on a continuum, stretch your brain like this. There's like a, and, and you just think of the, think of the highest cognitive function continuum, right? Mm. And just think of how far people are on that sway, right? And let's call it like, a, I guess, a Asperger's autistic cognitive function over here, right? And then like, you know, the entire opposite level of genius and awareness over here. Mm. There's a massive continuum where people sit on that. And they all need different programs based upon how they adapt. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the strength of the argument that I give for, uh, for the individual design, because if you don't do that, you just template it, 
you're going to, of course, trip up someone here who you're like, oh, dude, you just got to get comfortable with uncomfortable. And then they just get tripped up, right? Because why? Because you never decided to assess where they sit, you know, at their, their starting point. Yeah. Um, and then you, if you assess that, you would have been like, oh, shit, I can't give that to you, that dose, because you won't recover from this. So I'm just going to give you this little, this little challenge and then, you know, wipe away the tears and then we'll do a bigger challenge, you know. And then yeah. there'll be hugs and then there'll be a bigger challenge. Then there'll be high fives, you know? Yeah. Where would you see the, um, <laughs> I just got, I, I can just, I can just picture this, uh, this guy that's just passed selection and you've given him a little assault bike workout and he's now crying. You're like, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> it happens. Let's not joke. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, yeah. The, the assault bike is the devil. Um, so in terms of the like the, the physical component again what, what are you seeing in the common uh, physical issues are you seeing like specific injuries coming about like over specific overuse injuries what are you kind of seeing in that world of things yeah uh it's almost the same argument for the ones that get weeded out and downward but the uh any any um injuries that are present up there are mainly I'll put it in a bucket of just dumb training or improper lifestyle that doesn't support what they want to do. Yeah. So the fix to that is really, you know, I know it sounds simple, but I'll expand on it is don't do dumb training and have better lifestyle, you know, function, even if it's in a chaotic model that allows you to do those things over there. Um, but I don't see a lot of prevalent, like, Oh, this is the, like, you know, uh, adductor tears in hockey, ice hockey is mm -hmm. prevalent, right? Like it's, there's no secret. It happens a lot. It happens to the best. Right. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense for the sport, right? You know, strong, you know, uh, certain parts of quad muscle, incorrect core patterning, slight little maladjustment, and then bam, you know, on the ice, they get this little pull. Um, but for that specific area, and I know it's a big bucket, there's nothing that's specifically prevalent. I would say, ironically, it's, uh, it's almost uh, pain or inflammation that comes from within, mm -hmm. in which they'll have inflammatory remarkers based upon a shitty lifestyle or poor recovery from whatever they're trying to do for training. So, you know, you can, you can try to slap, you know, caffeine and donuts and, and uppers and downers on top of a chaotic lifestyle, and that'll give you sore elbows. Mm -hmm. So if you're reporting in science, oh, tactical athletes, a lot of them have sore elbows. It's not sore elbows. <laughs> it's a shit lifestyle that's present as pre being presented as sore elbows. Um, cause I mean, they're not obviously doing a shit ton of tricep extensions incorrectly or without a warm up, you know, where their bursa is all messed up. Yeah. So I, most times it's really inside shit that's being presented outside. And then there's the odd thing, you know, uh, where you get uh, wear and tear around knees and low back. But again, it always goes back to, um, I think the lack of preparation, um, which again is called dumb training or shitty training. Um, and then secondarily, I already said that, but the lifestyle practices, that's generally what I would see as prevalent, something to look forward to. Yeah, or you, look for. yeah you've mentioned lifestyle um, a fair few times there. And uh, again, coming from the military, there is a, there's a big drinking culture. Um, yep. I, suppose, I don't know what it's like in the Canadian military, but in the British military, yep. all the way up to the special forces, there is a big drinking culture. And uh, um that is having a is got is going to have an effect, and I think times are changing yeah. in terms of uh, yeah. the, the culture of people that are now going for special forces, a younger generation, um, yeah. and they're probably going to see less and less of that. Are you seeing many problems in terms of when they're going from this highly, I suppose, cleansed environment of day-to-day uh, -day work at base in Canada, the UK, America, wherever it is, doing training, eating what they their prepared meals? 
and then going away to a foreign country, eating uh, MREs, as men call them, ration packs in Britain, nutrition that isn't designed for that person. Are you seeing an, a, a knock-on effect in terms of like gut biome and gut health and the, the consequences yeah. that come along with that? Yeah, for sure. Well, we get presented back. So these are guys that are done and finished or, or friends that I've had within that area who like came into fitness or coaching fitness after. Mm -hmm. In most cases, most cases, those males are hypogonadal um, and they have uh, gut dysbiosis. Mm -hmm. So they have a real bad microflora that's going on and they have an inability to have morning erections, you know, and this could be at 29 years of age or 33 years of age. And that's generally, there's more other symptoms, but the, you know, depression and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But those are more the more the things that, that, you know, were dealt with. If you go back to their current situation for six, 10 years in a row, remember they were the most resilient to be able to deal with what was there, right? Yeah. So whatever they had to do in order to deal with what was there, uh, whether it was adrenal function, production of hormones, cortisol management, et cetera, they were resilient enough to sustain that the entire time. And so when I speak about lifestyle for it, again, that's why it's best if the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the people that be and decide really should go after the most resilient people because they will have inside as well the most resilience to recover from all those stressors for a number number of years, right? Yeah. And so again, it goes back to the same thing. Can you train that? Yeah, you certainly can. But if I have a 21 year old that is clean as shit, right? And you know, perfect with lifestyle, and then they come into this setting and they can't deal with you know specific changes or issues with changes in food, changes in lifestyle, the culture around drinking, etc that actually makes them less resilient because they can't deal with it. So, you know, there, there is an argument for possibly knowing what's at that level of shit food and drinking or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or just the, you, you, cause you didn't tie them together, but we'll just classify it as like shit practices of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's an indirect thing that a lot of people don't look at for that, which is community, culture, security, friendship, um, laughter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that are, that are unfounded in research, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I would suggest is that, that that person over here who wants to come in and do this, they probably need to be able to live and survive in this situation. And again, it goes back to being as resilient as possible yeah. so that they can put up with all that shit, right? And come out the other side being okay. <laughs> you're not gonna be, a, you're definitely not gonna be a magician on the other side, but you'll be okay. You'll yeah. survive a little bit better than others. And then you get someone who comes in, let's call it with low resilience and a shit lifestyle. Yeah, they may be able to deal with this, but they're going to severely suffer, right? Mm -hmm. Severely suffer because they don't have the base terrain to deal with the extra stressors that come if they have to be put into a, a fight for five years. Yeah. And yeah, the, the lifespan of a career in the special forces is quite low um, yeah. in terms of the, the larger military is, is obviously longer. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, it's set up to just it's yeah. set up to just churn, right? It is. Yeah, um, which are, it's I suppose that's a potentially a bad thing, in uh, but it creates great coaches. <laughs> um, yeah. So you yeah. are you seeing because I know that there is a big problem in the sporting industry or the, in sport where you've got super high performing athletes. They're coming out of um, I'm going to use football as an example, soccer. Um, they're coming out of their career at 30, 31, 32 maybe. They're pushing their luck um, years of age. 
extremely high performing and then into a setting of no performance. Yeah. Um, I know in the martial art world, obesity is a huge thing. I, I do judo myself. The amount of obese black belts and like higher Dan grades is huge. Are you uh-huh. seeing, are, are you dealing with that? So they've, they've come out of operations, they've now moved into maybe a, a, um, a directing staff role where they're teaching and leading. Um, are you dealing with that world as well? I'm not dealing with it directly, but I do know groups and I do know uh, those people um, being former NHL hockey players, former NFL athletes, uh, former, even former executives that retire. It's a similar style of idea, Um, but you could probably imagine it it does make sense, right? It makes sense that you get to that massive physical and, and cognitive mission peak. And then afterwards, you really have to, and this is just this, just the advice, not dealing with them all the time, but this is what people have to do. They have to quickly readjust and pivot to find something that's as purposeful with what they have to work with. And that's not always easy. And it's not easy coming back into a civilized situation that doesn't promote um, the challenges that were imposed inside of that former lifestyle again, if that makes sense. Yeah. So. Um, that's all I would have to add to it is that it's a real thing. Um, and it's a real big problem. Um, and what you see in obesity and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there's lots of uncovered topics like depression, drug abuse, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that go to a really, really deep level. Um, and, uh, especially for, you know, uh, special forces and the concern around PTSD and NFL with the concern around CTE. Um, these are real scenarios that, I really don't think people have put a whole lot of time into delivering. Mm-hmm. Um, and my last point on that, I think that what what I'm trying to do as well is to provide a long-term program for fitness athletes so that they understand what mastery is. Mm-hmm. And what mastery means is that when you finish the sport in general, um, there is a place to be a master, but that includes giving back to what you had participated in and then you can find purpose in that giving back. And sometimes that could be, uh, sometimes it can be set up in different situations. It's generally not the case in the really high stress peaks like forces, because there's very few that get to that level and then stop and then want to give back somehow for development of future participants, just honestly, because it's it's really draining on, on mental capacity, you know? Um, but I, that's just, a, that's just a, a stretch thought experiment for people to think about trying to get to that point where when the, after that peak, there has to be some conversation and it has to be an open conversation on what to do after this, um, that has, a you know, connections to living healthily and having a good lifestyle. Yeah. Excellent stuff. So, uh, one, I suppose two last questions, um, exercise selection, are you seeing any uh, common themes with, with these tactical athletes? Yeah, there's a better, well, I would say the first thing I thought of is there's a better approach to exercise selection today Mm. for the ones that are doing it correctly. I think our toolbox with the information age um, has really grown as athletes, um, or sorry, as coaches of athletes. So I think over the past 10 years, we've gained so much more knowledge just because I know what people are doing in Russia. I know what they're doing in South Africa. You know, you you can just, you're just collecting everything. Mm. So you get to have a much better prescription and exercise selection. That's the first thing I would say. Um, as far as the principles inside of it, there's nothing really big game changing that I could share with you besides that big bucket of just awesome general resistance. 
that's progressively done for that person based upon where their ability is. Yeah, and you just answered my second question about principles, so okay. perfect. Okay. <laughs> I think it's probably a good point to end on. Um, again, Great. yeah, Thanks really appreciate questions. it. And uh, for those that are watching, if you have any questions, feel free to send them in and uh, we'll see if we can get them answered for you. Um, yeah, appreciate it again and uh, look forward to next time. Thanks, Lee. Cool. No, stop.